We're switching passages here in the middle of our Advent series. Uh, Ben and Isaiah 50. Uh, We covered the first seven verses in total over a matter of three weeks because I'm such a horrifically fast preacher. Um, And while, of course, the verses remaining are worthy of your reading and consideration, as the whole Bible, I believe, is so. Uh, As I was reading through what was remaining, I felt it was kind of a disconnect from the primary theme that I felt the Lord lay on my heart for this Advent um, season, which is a thrill of hope. The weary world rejoices. And so Tuesday morning, um, as I sat in a dark house looking at a (laughs) dim computer, (laughs) because I wanted to turn the power down and the brightness down and get as much juice I could out of it. I went back to the Stone Age, and I found... This is called a physical Bible. I don't know if you've heard of these. Um, and I, I got it out, and I, it's a New American Standard Bible. I really like it. It's 1977 text, and I know a lot of you probably read it. It's just not one I grew up on, so I was reading it, and it was using it for devotional time a lot anyways, and I turned to the back in the concordance, and then I was checking under the word weary again. And if you remember, this is how I started my study a few weeks ago, and of the passages, I felt the Lord prick my heart with, uh, actually, Proverbs 25.25. And I hadn't seen that passage in my first word search a few weeks ago, because I was word searching in the ESV, And the ESV doesn't use the word weary in that verse. And so keeping overall with all the mismatch of my feelings of what Bible I'm preaching from, I figured, why don't I use the NASB 77, the NASB today? So I invite you to stand in uh, in honor of hearing the word of God, and let's read Proverbs 25 to 25 together. Now, you're going to get Christmas out of this, just reading this passage. You can't think of anything else but Christmas, I'm sure. Like cold water (laughs) to a weary soul, so is good news from a distant land. Let's pray. Father, as we examine this passage closely this morning, I pray that whatever your desire is for us to receive this morning, we would receive it. Father, I pray that if there are cold hearts, that you would warm them today, warm them this morning. If there are problems in our lives, if we need good news, we pray that this good news would be received in full. Father, most of all, I pray for your Holy Spirit to be speaking and not I. So say what it is that you desire and move me out of the way. Have your way among us, I pray. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Landon, my youngest, is getting up there in age where long walks in the stroller are a little bit less exciting prospect anymore. On most days, less so in the cold weather and deep snow. While Christy and Calvin might go over and work on the ranch and farm, sometimes Landon and I will take about a three-mile walk. However, more so these days, sometimes he's fussing about going. (laughs) 
And sometimes when I get home, I have to get into Durango and go back and pick up the gloves and boots he kicked off. And I didn't realize (laughs) somewhere along our route. (laughs) Sometimes he needs his beloved stuffed animal, whom we call Smelly Ellie. It's a little stuffed elephant, and it has the given name Ellie on her tag, and and smelly we just thought was an appropriate adjective to describe Ellie. And in Landon's torturous moans about going, sometimes I have had to soothe her. Well, here, you can take smelly Ellie today. She gets dropped as well on the road. But Ellie can give Landon comfort like no other creature can. Well, last Sunday, after the snowfall we experienced that day, we laid Landon down, and we, Calvin, we let him go to his room for about an hour for what we call quiet time. But I don't need quiet time. Well, your parents do. But <laughs> um, I hadn't gotten to walk in a couple of days, and I told Christy, I know it's snow-packed, and I even though I am a little bit tired from church, I just want to head out for a walk. And so I did. I took my usual route. I had my snow boots on. The roads weren't too bad, but I knew if I had a stroller on top of all of Landon's usual protests, that would have added to an arduous journey. And uh, so um, I have discovered, though, that as long as I'm listening to sermons or whatever I can in my earphones, that I don't know the exercise hurting me as much. I am distracted. It seems like every time I get home and remove my earphones, it is then and only then that I discover amazingly that I'm sweaty under the wet clothes and coats and hats. And I discover that my legs burn a little bit and that I'm breathing a bit heavier than usual. And furthermore, in cold weather with the addictions I have, what sounds good? A nice warm cup of coffee with little heart shapes. on. No, that's good. It would do more than just sloppily quench any thirst I have. It would warm the hands. The aroma would be pleasing to the senses. So the proverb begins here like cold water to a weary soul. The illustration, I believe, is similar. The ESV and other translations would use thirsty soul. You know, there have been hot dry summer days where I've walked the same route and the same is true in reverse. I arrive home to realize that I'm sweaty, the muscles are burning, and a cold, refreshing cup of water sounds amazing. But it's winter time, and so I like the coffee illustration. But the Bible and the geography it takes place are more familiar with hot deserts than cold, mountainous snow like we might be. And the Bible uses this imagery. Uh, Jesus uses this imagery. In fact, I mentioned a, a few weeks ago that the necessity of the word of God, that man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God, the necessity of God's word. But if we want to keep what I'm talking about, at least in the same testament, which that passage that Jesus quotes is obviously from Deuteronomy. But over in Psalm 2, we read some words that sound very familiar for some reason. Psalm 42, uh, as the deer pants or literally longs for for the water bricks. So my soul pants or longs for for thee, O God, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? Or it could be when shall I come and see the face of God? We live in a very distracted world. 
a very distracted world. In fact, I would say that much of the world today is distracted, sells distraction, or thrives on distraction. It is so distracting that we don't know that we have parched, thirsty, weary souls. I remember this visit vividly illustrated back when I lived in Moscow, not Moscow, Russia, but <laughs> Moscow and Pullman sees snow like we do. And so one late fall, early winter afternoon, I believe, after work, I, I managed to get in with Les Schwab tires to put some winter tires on our vehicle. And I remember sitting there in their little waiting room. And I didn't have a smartphone to sufficiently distract me like I do now. And uh, on their TV was playing something that really didn't interest me. Uh, nevertheless, I was just amazed and in shock and so much awe. Do you know what was playing, what was happening? Two news anchors were talking. They had multiple specialists. They had tons and tons of information. So think about this. There was cameramen in a studio and no doubt some graphic artists were being paid to bring up the graphics and pictures and digitally enhanced introductions and departures before commercials. And it dawned on me that easily hundreds to thousands of dollars was being poured into a program covering what? Draft picks. I think for, I don't know what for, I thought maybe the NFL, but that didn't seem right with the time I was there. I don't know. Maybe it was some other sport. I don't know what draft picks could be happening at that time. The point is, is I was aghast that so many people could organize and pay money and, and have a show that cost who knows how much to produce, all to cover news of who's being picked to play for teams. There was not even a football game going on. This was just who knows how long of a show to cover who's being to play for certain teams. Now, if you watch all that stuff, I'm not picking on you. I, I'm sure I could easily uncover some similar thing that I might watch or enjoy. It just might be just as wasteful. But the point is just think about this. Think about how many people today can remember the 2012, probably the winner I watched this, draft picks of whatever sport league. How many people both then or now could truly say, sure, glad I spent an hour or two to hear the thoughts of these anchors and advisors on what people are going to be chasing a pigskin around a field for a while. It really soothes my soul. It's really a good usage of my time. You know, something closer to home for me is video games. I played so many video games growing up. I would prefer video. My parents would tell me every summer, you're doing something, kid, and it's not video games. You're not gonna, you're gonna either go out and learn how to swim, you're gonna go do some sports. But how much money is produced on video games? Or TV shows about draft picks, or movies made for the sheer sex and violence that is glorified in them, or the pornography industry, which I've heard rakes in more money than all the sport leagues, period, combined each year. Not to mention the slave trade that it contributes to. If people complain that there's not enough money to feed the world or to rebuild destroyed cities and towns, people have absolutely no room to complain. There is enough money. And all these things can be distractions. If you want to enjoy football, if you're like me, or a hockey game for leisure, sure. I just don't know if all the money, bells, and whistles are required for these sport games to be thoroughly enjoyed. My point is this, is we spend money to distract us. Sometimes we don't even need money 
to distract us. This is exemplified for me over in John 4, where Jesus meets the woman at the well. And he uses this thirsty soul imagery. He says to her, referring to the well, everyone who drinks of this water shall thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water I shall give him shall become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. And so she asks Jesus for this water. She says, I'd like to never have to come to this well again. I'd like to have my thirst quenched. So then Jesus says, sure, just go get your husband and I'll tell you both about it. And she confesses that she doesn't have any husband. Now, she kind of leaves out some important details. But Jesus, knowing her life and being God incarnate, reveals he knows what she left out. You have well said, I have no husband for you have had five husbands. And the one whom you have now is not your husband. This you have said truly. She's been distracted. She's been searching for something. She's been filling up with the kind of water Jesus talked about to begin with. The kind of water that causes people to thirst again. The first husband didn't satisfy. The second husband didn't satisfy. And if I may deduce, if I may guess and speculate, I would not be surprised that as far as her latest boyfriend is concerned, it could be because the fifth husband she has had hasn't divorced her yet. Or it could be that she flat out didn't care anymore. She didn't expect to ever to have her soul quenched. She's just living with the latest boyfriend, though she never expects to be satisfied. She never expects to find what she's looking for. I've seen people like this in addictions, whether it be food or sexually related or drugs and alcohol. They don't like what they're where they're at. They're they're bitter and resentful and they're defeated and they just keep on taking their drug of choice, drinking from a well that will never satisfy. Jesus is getting to the point with this woman at the well. I'm a living water that sat that satisfies people who will come here will never have to seek out a well that satisfies again. We don't know we're distracted. You know how I know that I was distracted as I wrote this sermon, lots of it during a power outage. I don't know how many times I lamented that the Internet was off (laughs) because I couldn't check Facebook. I couldn't check emails. You know, I wonder if Facebook and I would survive. I wonder if, you know, emails and, and me not knowing what emails I got would survive if I didn't check those every chance I wanted to. Yes, we would both survive. In fact, I'd probably survive better. But. Distraction is ingrained in our culture, in our lives. And I want to say that distractions sometimes are like the earphones that I wear on walks. The weariness of the world, if we would only acknowledge it, if we would only see how present that distractions and weariness is. You know, distractions while exercising are a great thing because it helps you get the job done. But the illustration is this. The earphones are Facebook, emails, TV shows, sports shows, overutilized hobbies. For some, it's overworked jobs. For some, it's, it's overinterest in family to the point of negligence of other things. And it isn't until we take out the earphones and we lay down the distractions that we realize how much we ache. We realize how cold and wet and soggy and weighed down we are. 
It's only then that we think about and realize how pleasant and nice and warm and pleasant smelling and Christmassy warm cup of coffee might taste or feed our senses or warm our hands. If you don't like coffee, hot cocoa. (laughs) But we have to feel that weight. We have to know that weight. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? Do you ever feel that much emotion and wanting to meet with God? Or are you still putting earphones in? You know, we try to memorize scripture with Calvin every morning and prayers sometimes. And it it could be a five-year-old or it could be a, a common enemy against all things God, pervasive in humanity and the world. It could be both. But it's like pulling teeth at times. Calvin, innocent and young, holds back no mustard with his words and says, I'd rather play with toys. Why are we going to do boring Bible verses? <laughs> and it hurts and it worries the dad in me who wants him to love and enjoy the word of God. But nevertheless, it's a common notion. Why do I need the boring word of God? We're too distracted. There are toys to play with. There are apparently NFL draft picks to overanalyze. There are emails to check. There is Facebook to waste time on. Why do we need the boring word of God? We'd rather distract ourselves from from the more wearying things in life than to do something about that weariness. Like a warm cup of coffee to a weary soul, like cold water to a weary soul, says the proverb, is what? So is good news. Now, if you've been in church for a long time and wonder, hmm, what is that good news? <laughs> Either you're not listening or I've done a lousy job. And before we dive into that good news, I want us to look at another time the proverb uses that phrase good news. Proverbs 15, verse 30 says, bright eyes, literally the light of the eyes, gladden the heart. Good news puts fat on the bones. Bright eyes, the light of the eyes, gladden the heart. I remember in May of 2010, for a while up to this point on Facebook, I guess it's good for something, I had been talking to this girl named Christy Puckett. I had known her from school, and in May of 2010, I found a reason that I had to be in Lewiston. The same time she would be going through Lewiston, coincidentally. <laughs> but I could I could plan this because I knew she came home from Moscow to Woodland most weekends and, and most Fridays. And lo and behold, one Friday, I just had to be in Lewiston. So I suppose as long as it was just completely necessary for me to be in Lewiston that one Friday, I wondered if she might, you know, not meet up for, you guessed it, coffee. <laughs> so we did. And this gal that I've been chatting with through Facebook, there's this whole other element added to have those beautiful blue eyes physically in front of my face while she and I talked. And for a while, I just realized, acknowledged, man, she has amazing eyes. And, and I understand this, this gladdening of the heart. That's how good news is. It gladdens the heart. It also puts fat on the bones. Perhaps it's a timely picture during holiday time. (laughs) I mean, let's not make it our life first, but (laughs) the Bible knows holy days, and most of those holy days are shared feasts. 
Good news puts fat on the bones. Good news is like a good feast around the table. Good news is like Christmas dinner. It's biblical. I'm beginning to sense that good news is like all the things we enjoy in life, all the meaningful things. Sometimes even the small things. What do we mean by the small things? We, we often say to people, enjoy the small things in life. We mean enjoy the things like a warm cup of coffee on a long winter's walk. Enjoy the simple pleasure it gives you to soak up your spouse's beautiful eyes. Enjoy a good feast with friends and family as opposed to the big things in life. A new car, a new house, a vacation. Those are all enjoyable as well in their own rights. But good news is like the inner warmth that comes from unexpected or small places. Like a small baby wrapped in claws in a manger. Which is why we know over in Luke chapter 2, there was just a small thing taking place. There's, in the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in their flocks by night. Small things. Everyday things. And then an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terribly frightened. The angel said, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of a great joy, which shall be for all people. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. There's good news. Is your soul weary? There's good news. In between living from distraction to distraction and in that between time, does it does it feel like taking earphones off after a long, wintry, wet, sloshy walk and you feel the burn and the soreness and the wetness There's good news. Like a warm, aromatic, pleasing cup of coffee, there's there's good news. Like looking at bright eyes, there's good news like a Christmas dinner. There's there's good news of a great joy for all the people, for everyone. A Savior has been born. A Savior. Now the author, Luke here, uses the term Savior over in Acts 5 after Peter is released from prison and the authorities are wondering why would the disciples ever dare to speak Christ's name again we read but Peter and the apostles answered and said we must obey God rather than men the God of our fathers raised up Jesus whom you have put to death by hanging him on a cross he is the one whom God exalted to his right hand as a prince and a savior to grant repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. This is how good the good news is. It is so good that when people shut you up and jail you in for speaking of such things, you can't help but say it anyways. <laughs> bad news is a dime a dozen. There is plenty of bad news. <laughs> and if I'm honest about how careless and selfish and disinterested I am, more than half the news I see and hear, I wish would just be outlawed <laughs> from speaking. But this good news is news of the Savior. He grants repentance. He grants. He gives forgiveness. He is the Christ, said the angel, the Messiah. This is what the woman at the well said. I, I know that Messiah is coming. He who is called Christ. And when that one comes, he will declare all things to us. See, everyone was looking for this good news. A savior. See, our world is actually so saturated with it, they're just blind over the obviousness. Our world loves savior stories. 
loves Savior stories, whether it be comic book superheroes or for some people, rioters and marchers in the streets talking about some cause that will save people if it was only followed. Underdog stories of people who gain influence. Our world just yearns and dies for heroes and saviors. It was no different in ancient times, only for Jews and half Jews like Samaritans. There was a figure coming, a messiah. A savior who would save and explain and be the fulfillment of all prophecy. You know, we find the the woman at the well story in the book of John. And in the beginning of John, we read that the word became flesh. The fulfillment of all prophecy. And he's good news. He's a great joy for all people. A savior born for us. A savior who grants repentance and the forgiveness of sins. You know, it said, all people, and he was born for you. That's what it says. That's what the angels said to the shepherds. You would only receive him if the weary world would lift from its weariness, if they would take their earphones off. (laughs) The world's problems would actually fall under the weight of forgiveness and salvation if everyone received them. But why don't people receive this good news? No, the proverb says, like cold water to a weary soul, soul is, so is good news from a distant land. There is primarily, probably, a positive aspect to this proverb, but I wonder if secondarily there is a negative aspect. Distant land, far country, it's alien, it's foreign. Good news from a foreign land sometimes falls foreign on the ears. The idea of the Messiah found in none other than Jesus of Nazareth is so foreign on the ears, even for Jews. We see this, of course, in the gospel accounts where the Jewish leaders are constantly opposing Jesus. They diminish him. They shrug him off. They ignore the very idea of considering him the Messiah. In fact, while the good news came to Bethlehem, shepherds from angels only five miles away at a later date, the good news did Come from a distant land. Magi came. Likely pagan astrologers from the east. Who knew of the Messiah's birth. And the irony strikes me that here we are in our day and age. Surrounded by access to the good news. Just a few phone clicks away. A few mouse clicks away. For many of us a few pages away. But we don't always take advantage of it. But the Magi... Not at all in a cultural context of being immersed in the things of Jesus or the things of the Jews, but by virtue of not living in Israel, they arrive in Jerusalem with good news from a distant land, foreign sounding news. Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. Now that's got to sound foreign. Why are you here? Duh, the star. Oh, never noticed. (laughs) Now, we can't say much about this star or why it would draw such men to take such pains to travel to see what it was pointing to. Most people would point to a prophecy in Numbers, chapter 24, verse 17, which says, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come forth from Jacob and a scepter shall rise from Israel. Scepter being a symbol of rulership and power. 
And some, I would say even most, might say, perhaps this is what the Magi read and they had in mind and they connected it to when they saw such a star in the skies and that's what drew them across the land to Israel to see. Well, it could be, and it seems most likely the suggestion, but Matthew 2 is all we get when it comes to the Magi. And why a star drew them to Bethlehem? Matthew 2 is all we get. They didn't mention any prophecy from numbers in there. Seems very probable, but... A king of the Jews. This drives Herod crazy. He's already killed family members to protect his throne. Though Herod is the political ruler over the Jews at the time, he's entirely a politician, and any association with the Jews was really not religious or moral in nature. This foreign news of a king being born in his own lifetime is foreign and worrisome sounding on the ears And as we read, he he gets together some scribes and prophets who know their Bibles. Any news on where the Christ might be born? These magi would like to know. And then they quote Micah 5.2 to suggest the Messiah will indeed come from Bethlehem. Herod uses that information to eventually plan a mass abortion on the boys of Bethlehem, while the foreigners and the magi use the information to go and worship the flesh and blood of good news from a distant land as far as they were concerned. Because some people welcome good news from a distant land. And this is perhaps the primary meaning and the thrust of the proverb, like cold water or an aromatic warm cup of coffee to a weary soul. So is good news from a distant land. We already said the the Magi receive it well. They're traveling uh, from the distant land to Bethlehem. They want to worship the good news. But we also find the gospel accounts and the book of Acts uh, continue how distant land receives the good news. And as we talk about prophecies like Numbers 24, Micah 5, the last three weeks prior, we've been reading a servant poem, Isaiah 50. And I mentioned it in passing, but the most well-known servant poem is no doubt the suffering servant, Isaiah 52 and 53. And in Acts chapter 8, we have an Ethiopian eunuch who had traveled to Jerusalem and apparently on his way back, he was apparently not adverse to the Jewish religion because he had the scroll of Isaiah with him. And he was reading that very servant poem, the suffering servant. God supernaturally put along his path, Philip, one of the early church missionaries. And we read in Acts chapter eight, verse 30. And when Philip had run up, he heard him reading Isaiah, the prophet and said, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, well, how could I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come and sit with him. Now, the passage of scripture, which he was reading, was this. He was led as a sheep to slaughter and as a lamb before its shearers is silent. So he does not open his mouth. In humiliation, his judgment was taken away. Who shall relate his generation for his life is removed from the earth? And the eunuch answered Philip and said, please tell me of whom does this prophet say this of himself or of someone else? And Philip opened his mouth and beginning from the scripture, he preached Jesus to him. Philip preached good news from a distant land. The passage would go on to show us that indeed the eunuch accepted Christ and he was baptized into the faith because like cold water to a weary soul, so is good news from a distant land. I don't know where you're at today. The the series, we've been noting this, that the world has a weariness to it. 
But I want to say that Christmas, what we celebrate, Christ incarnate, is always the answer. Advent series, Christmas series are sometimes hard for us pastors because we feel compelled to hone in on the same elements we always do. (laughs) And it feels like, for us at least, spending four Sundays at least every year to talk about the same stuff might just be like watching repeat episodes of a TV show for you. But it's worth it. Heaven help us if we've been listening to Isaiah chapter 50, to admonitions of soaking up God's word. It's what God uses to sustain the weary. And if we listen here that like a cold water on a hot day or a warm cup of coffee on a winter day, so is good news from a distant land. Heaven help us to receive that. God help us to live in that. Please, let's not let anyone walk home, drive home, look at our Bibles and say, yeah, you should probably read that a little more. (laughs) And then go back to our old habits. And letting the weary world cause us to thirst for more water that we just can't seem to find. And no, instead, let us come to the living water and thirst no more. Let's let the, the Christmas gift for you this year be good news from a distant land. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, in all of my thinking and scatterbrain as I tried to come up with an Advent series this year, maybe what you're trying to say is something simple and something we hear all the time, so I wrestle about it, but maybe you're saying, no, this is the point. That... My word needs to be received and implanted on human hearts. Father, it needs to be treasured above all things. If there is a weariness in the world that we're facing, and I don't know if 2020 and 2021 would ever give us cause to be weary, but if it has, (laughs) Father, would you help us to take refuge in your word more than ever? Father, um, I, I tire of hearing pastors try to encourage people by the end of the year, oh, for a New Year's resolution, read the Bible in a year. Uh, Father, let us just read the Bible, <laughs> period. Let us soak up your word every day. Help us if we're thinking, if the enemy's trying to lie to us. No, there are better solutions. Uh, but you said man will not live on bread alone, but on the very word of God. So help us, Father, to live on your word, to treasure your word. We love you and we thank you and we ask and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.